going without that one for the rest of the service. Okay, are we ready? (laughs) Awesome. The first words of my sermon that I wrote are, Advent again begins with a bang, and that felt like an appropriate uh, sound effect for the beginning of the sermon. (laughs) Advent again begins with a bang. Every year the first Sunday of Advent features an apocalyptic gospel reading about the end of the world. This year it's Mark, which is our new featured gospel for the year, and today's reading is often called The Little Apocalypse. I'm not sure if any apocalypse is little, but The Little Apocalypse. And I'm grateful to Jan Richardson this week for reminding me of a scene in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. As a weary Buffy again prepares to save the world from catastrophic destruction, she talks with Giles, who is her watcher, who has this fantastic British accent, by the way, And Buffy says, how many apocalypses is this now? Giles says, about six, I think. And Buffy says, feels like a hundred. Indeed, the first Sunday of Advent apocalypse is here again to remind us again. We are absolutely not talking about the saccharine, cheery, consumer-driven season leading up to Christmas as practiced by our host 21st century U.S. American culture. Advent, in other words, is not just church speak for the holiday season happening outside our doors. Nope, it is altogether different. What we do here, ideally, isn't just a spin on what's happening out there. It's a completely different beast. And not only is it completely different, but you could almost make the case that the two are antithetical to one another. That Advent yanks the rug out from under the holiday cheer accoutrement, leaving a pile of mess and destruction in its wake, and that the holiday season out there yanks the rug out from under Advent, leaving in its wake mechanical singing Santas, long and frantic to-do lists, and piles of gift-wrapped stuff. And never the twain shall meet. Except, of course, they do. They do meet. They meet in each one of our lives. They meet in my life. I am not here to make you feel guilty about the ways in which you embrace and participate in the holiday cheeriness that is out there. Me? I bought tickets to see the Nutcracker this year. I went through two straight seasons here of hearing about George Balanchine's The Nutcracker. And I cracked. And we got a Christmas tree yesterday, bedecked it with lights and ornaments and stars. And as much as I hate it, gifts, oh, piles of them, small piles of them, relatively speaking. And smaller than they used to be before I got all scroogey with our families and demanded that the madness stop, or at least scale back a bit. But John and I will be traveling to Germany on Christmas Day this year with a book and a toy for each of our two nephews and one niece who live there, plus one gift each for the two adults that we drew in the name exchange, plus stocking stuffers, because this is a thing in the Stutzman family, they do full stocking, stocking stuffers for the whole darn family. Also, we will be shipping a book and a toy for each of my two nephews in Kansas. Stuff, stuff, 
stuff nobody needs. And because of my dedication in ensuring Hamilton tickets for myself through the purchase of a season subscription to Broadway in Seattle, I will even be seeing the Broadway musical Elf at the Paramount this week. (laughs) So there's a window into my own embrace of and participation in the holiday cheeriness that's out there. I'm not here to dish out guilt, to scrooge on your holiday season joy, or to feign a purity that I cannot own. I am here, however, to offer something different within these walls, to experience with you something different while gathered here. I'm committed to engaging our Advent scriptures, like today's little apocalypse, which doesn't have a whole lot of holiday cheer in it, And with you to try at least acknowledge that we are doing two vastly different things at the very same time. We often talk about the Jesus way being different than the world's way. And I'm realizing that December is consistently the month where that divide is so very stark. Though again, even to call it a divide is wrong, right? It's not a divide for most of us. We're somehow living in both. So it's a dance, uh, but it is not an award-winning dance. (laughs) It's the sort of dance where they're stepping on feet and stumbling and general chaos, and it's not at all clear who's the lead and who's the follow. We also know how particularly hard this supposedly most wonderful time of the year is for those who are grieving, for those who are struggling with mental health or addiction or finances or any number of the multitude of silent sorrows that so many carry. And that's why we have a longest night service on the winter solstice each year to create a space to name that and to honor that. But this awareness shouldn't just be relegated to one night for just those who opt to come. And for those who are walking with acute grief this year, I have a great resource that I would love to share with you. It's written by Jan Richardson. It's not the first or the last time you'll hear me mention her in this sermon. Jan Richardson, whose husband died unexpectedly on the second day of Advent just a few years ago, and she looked for resources for Advent and mourning, but mostly found strategic sorts of resources guidelines for coping and so on, which she says are helpful. But as she put it, she knew her grief was asking her to do something more than just manage it. And so she wrote her own resource. And please be in touch with me if you would like a copy. In fact, maybe I'll just have it attached to the e-communicator this week for anyone who would like it. So a far cry from Warm 106.9's 24-7 programming of holiday songs. And I popped over to their website as I was typing that sentence on Thursday afternoon just to see. And um, playing live on the air at that moment was Bruce Springsteen singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. If anybody's going to sing it, I actually want to hear Bruce sing it. But, you know, a far cry from that. The words of Jesus that greet us this first Advent morn are startling. Advent beginning with an apocalyptic bang again. In Mark, on the one hand, it seems the signs of Christ's coming will be as obvious to read 
as the signs of spring coming. We can all see it happening. No problem. A breeze. On the other hand, just a sentence later, Mark tells us, no one could ever know when Christ is coming, so don't even bother trying to figure it out. And then, then the next breath, but despite that fact of unknowability, be constantly on the watch. Stay awake. Stay on the alert. Stay alert. Don't be caught asleep. Stay alert. Six imperatives, all in just a few verses. From it's going to be easy to tell, to no one will ever know, to keep alert, keep alert, keep alert, keep alert, keep alert, keep alert, keep alert. Is that six? It's all a little head spinning in this little apocalypse, but it all begins with this. But in those days, after that time of distress, and when I read that, it begs the question of what that time of distress was. What was this time of distress that Mark is referring to? It's described, also in the words of Jesus, from the beginning of chapter 13 in these ways. Destruction of the great and wonderful buildings of Jerusalem. Deceptive ones who are claiming to speak for God. Wars. Rumors of wars. Nations rising up against nations. Earthquakes. Famines. Persecution of those proclaiming good news by the rulers of the world. Siblings and friends betraying one another, children rebelling against parents, false prophets, and unequal distress. All in that one chapter. And it frankly just sounds to me like another day of logging on to CNN.com or flipping through the Times, be it Seattle or New York, take your preference, or scrolling through my Facebook feed, or even listening to REM's now dated references in... It's the end of the world as we know it. No one? (laughs) Somebody grew up in the REM era with me, right? All right, all right. Anyone who thinks that the barrage of bad news is a contemporary phenomenon hasn't read Mark 13 in a while. It's been around for a long time. Now, we chose our Advent theme in the midst of chaos. So each week we're going to be proclaiming the Advent theme, peace or hope or joy or love in the midst of chaos. We chose that because of the anticipated sanctuary construction, and little did we know that our team of workers would be so efficient to have effectively eliminated the chaos before Advent started. Way to go, team. So um, shout out to Terry Miller. David Lindquist, Peter Lagerway, Andy Royce, Michael Leary, some of the people who showed up to do the actual work, John Flickinger, Demi Shank Miller, and Lisa Bade for design decisions, and they consulted a whole crew of other people, others of you out there, Jim Bridges in the library, Marcia doesn't want me to say her name, I just did, and everyone who stuck around for the work party last week, especially the youth who put in so much work that there was little to be done. After, once we got to the work party. And of course, Dave Sloniker, who held it all together, and he wanted me to shout out to the whole church for being so supportive and accommodating. Woo! There we go, with a bang again. That's my shout out and a bang, apparently. What's that? Mic drop. <laughs> Are we on? You can hear me? Yeah. 
So shout out to the whole crew. It looks really beautiful. It turns out it was one month and this. There's a few little details like the sound. Um, this is not our permanent sound situation, so that will get worked out soon. But fortunately, or unfortunately, the chaos that we anticipated in our physical space was only the catalyst for the theme, which we ultimately embraced because we felt it metaphorically mirrored the chaos of our world, the world around us. And that chaos, that hasn't been so tidily and deftly managed as our construction project. That chaos, that constant barrage of bad news makes me want to cry and lament and plea with the prophet Isaiah in the words we heard this morning, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When I read Mark 13, I can't help but feel it's eerily present tense for me and for us. Not in a Jesus must be coming back because the signs sort of way but eerily present tense in the way that I suspect it has seemed eerily present tense to just about every generation in just about every place and time. As Jan Richardson has written in a blessing that was inspired by this apocalyptic chapter of Mark 13, look, the world is always ending somewhere. Somewhere the sun has come crashing down. Somewhere it has gone completely dark. Somewhere it has ended with the gun, the knife, the fist. Somewhere it has ended with the slammed door, the shattered hope. Somewhere it has ended with the utter quiet that follows the news from the phone, from the television, the hospital room. Somewhere it has ended with a tenderness that will break your heart. And given that, given that the world is always ending somewhere, when I look for the hope for hope in the midst of chaos, and I want to be clear here that we're talking about hope, not optimism. It's lots of that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But um, really quickly, W. Paul Jones in Trumpet of Full Moon describes hope this way. Hope is the simple trust that God has not forgotten the recipe for manna. The hope of God contains the promise that we will be fed even if we never see the fruit of our hope-filled action. When I look for hope in the midst of chaos, I see this in Mark. When you see these things happening, and you know these things because they're happening not only in Mark 13, but they are happening out there. When you see these things happening, know that the promised one is near, right at the door. God has come near to us. God comes near to us in distress, in chaos, in the messes of our world and of our lives. Now, with the pastors this week, when we sat with this text, Amy noticed and named the presence of that fig tree, the green, lush, bursting with fruit fig tree right smack in the middle of the little apocalypse. As this vibrant and fecund image of hope standing in the midst of the text's chaos. So there it is, kind of right in the middle of this 
CNN.com, Newsfeed, Facebook, chapter, this fig tree. And I never quite noticed it quite in that way. Like in the text itself, the tree is a spot of light. And Jesus in Mark 13, just following that image of the blossoming tree, calls his listeners to be alert. And you heard that six times in as many verses. And it's a good call for us, I think. And Jonathan did some of that really beautifully in last week's sermon, naming the places of vibrant life in our own congregation and community, bearing witness to that, reflecting it back to us, naming that, those places. Like a juicy and nourishing piece of fruit plucked from a tree full of life standing in the midst of destruction and chaos, I am grateful for many signs of hope alive here, but God hasn't forgotten the recipe for manna. Without prompt, our racial justice and reparations small group self-initiated collecting and sharing resources to help prepare all of us for receiving our Peace Lecture guests in January. John Stays and Wazia Tavneen. And against a great many odds this year, our shelter staff and church folk have come together to ensure our neighbors on the streets have a place to sleep inside during these most cold dark and wet months of winter. And especially during Advent, I am aware of the growing number of children and adults, folks of all ages, sharing musical gifts so that we might sing our hope, our resistance, and our faith together, and to be fortified for going back out into both the chaos outside these walls and the holiday cheeriness. And there are so many other lush fig trees flourishing amidst the chaos. So stay alert, friends. Keep awake. Be attentive. Watch and notice and see the vibrantly green trees standing amidst the destruction. Look, perhaps especially, to our poets our artists, our musicians, the poets and artists and musicians who are around you, most of them have stared the chaos of this world and their lives in the face and have chosen to create as witness, as resistance, as one of the most hope-filled acts I can even imagine to simply create in the midst of such destruction. Look to them. And when you see the world falling apart, Know that the promised one has come near. The promised one is near. God has not left us to our struggle alone, but has entered in alongside us. Thanks be, and may it be so.